Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a nice gentleman who is based in the absolute wonderful heartland of our country, Indiana, Indianapolis, and doing fantastic things in the field of multifamily. Has a couple decades of really, really valuable experience. He is the founder of Onward Equity. He is Scott Jacobson. Scott, welcome to Street Smart Success. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. It's, a, it's an honor and privilege to join you here today. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. You got it, Scott. Scott, before you got into the world of real estate, uh, what is the background, man? Where do you hail from? And what was the Scott Jacobson pre-real estate story? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm originally from Northern Illinois, and I came to Indianapolis, as you said, for college. I uh, went to Butler University uh, half a lifetime ago, literally, actually a little bit more than that. And I studied accounting. My first job out of college was at Arthur Anderson, one of, at, at the time, one of the big four or big five accounting firms in the world. Uh, I was on the way to be a CPA. And the person who was assigned as my mentor at Arthur Anderson, when we got together, we didn't talk about accounting. We talked about real estate, uh, of all things. Uh, and I just said, you know, he, he, at the time he was managing close to a hundred single family rental properties himself and being a, a manager at a big five accounting firms. So I don't know how he had time to do all that, but, uh, he's the first one that told me to think beyond accounting and, uh, beyond the CPA license. So I told him, all right, well, once I, once I pass that exam, get that behind me, then I'll start thinking about about real estate. Uh, so he's, he's definitely the first person that brought real estate uh, into my, my sphere. At the, prior to that, I had no concept of ever being able to own something that you didn't live in <laughs> and then rent it to anybody else. So he's the, definitely, I, I credit him as the first uh, mindset shift uh, catalyst for me in, in my life. And that's made a huge, huge impact. In a lot of ways. So he, he owned a hundred single families? Almost a hundred. Yeah. And somehow he managed them himself. <laughs> I don't know how he wow. stayed sane, to be honest. Jeez, my goodness gracious. So what was your foray? What, what's the first thing you did? Um, I looked uh, from a rental property standpoint. So yeah, I, I, I got the CPA exam behind me. And um, well, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad back. That was, it was fairly new at that point. This was, I guess, early 2000s. Uh, right around 2000. And um, because I was only a year or two out of college at that point, uh, I still had a friend who was in college uh, as a pharmacy major, which is a six-year program instead of four. Uh, and she was living in a house that her dad had purchased for to live in while she was a student. And about that same time, she was getting ready to graduate and move on. And uh, somehow, I, I don't even remember how it happened, but somehow it came to my attention that her dad wanted to sell that house. And I had just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and had a fire under my butt and <laughs> wanted, to, wanted to see what could happen. So uh, in the end, uh, he was incredibly easy to work with. He only wanted out of the house what he had in it instead of he could have charged me 
uh, a lot more than he did. And uh, it, 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 I became uh, a house hacker before I think that term was even in the uh, vernacular, <laughs> so to speak. But uh, uh, then I got a few friends to live with me and uh, I lived there. It was right on campus for a few years. And then uh, when I got married after that, I turned it into a student rental. And in the meantime, I had expanded a little bit and bought several more uh, houses right near campus that uh, uh, became student rentals as well. And, and that was the biggest, uh, the main focus of my, say, my first, I don't know, 10 years or so uh, in the real estate world was student rentals. Uh, and then I acquired some outside of uh, the college bubble as well. But uh, that's certainly where my focus started. And, uh, and it treated me really well. I really enjoyed it. Help keep me young too. I got to hang out with college kids. Perfect. Sounds like fun. How did you come up with the money to buy these houses? Good question. So let's see. My first, uh, the first house, I, because he gave me a good deal, um, my friend's dad, and I know this is being recorded, but uh, we we did something that's technically a lot legal, not legal to be honest. But uh, we made we made the the purchase agreement. Perfect. Uh, a little bit higher than what our handshake agreement was under the table. So I actually got cash back at closing instead of having to bring cash to closing. Uh, and for anyone listening, I don't, I don't condone that. I don't suggest anyone do that, but uh, I was young and dumb and uh, hey, it worked well. So, um, I, and I used the cash back to purchase a, a, to use as a down payment on my second house purchase. And then from there, I think I, I had, for number three, I think I had to have my dad co-sign a loan because the bank I was working with anyways was no longer comfortable having um, fairly young and having a couple houses on my credit report. Uh, I needed a co-signer and uh, it took a few years to, to refinance that and get him, my dad off of the loan. But uh, that's, that's kind of how I got the wheels turning. I, I was very fortunate. In short, so would you for for subsequent houses? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just want to make sure I understand. So for like this portfolio that you were building, would you just refi and pull money out of one and then buy another? And this, or were you eventually like how how were you coming up with? And you know, this is a while ago, and it was Indiana, so these weren't five hundred thousand dollar houses. I get that, but you still started from nothing. How did you come up with money to build? You know each of these pieces of the portfolio. Yeah, so this was 2002 is when I bought my first one. So it was probably 2000. Within a year or two of there, I had I think I had gone up to four houses, and you know everyone right now, and, and I think rightfully so because we got accustomed to our super low rates. But rates back then were between five and seven and a half percent or so that I was buying at. And it, it took a little while for, for rates to come down. But at some point, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I was able to refinance at quite a bit lower rates, or at least they felt quite a bit lower. And uh, even pull some cash out at that point, because I had uh, uh, I was able to get pretty good purchase prices on these. That you can't do that anymore uh, near the university, Butler University, where I was. But uh, at that point, there wasn't a ton of competition and uh, I was able to get some pretty good uh, basis in there. So when it came time to, to refinance, I was able to pull a decent amount of cash out and uh, I just kept rolling it into the next, uh, whatever the next opportunity was. I, I've never been one to go out and need a super fancy car or a, a super big house myself to live in. I just 
Uh, I was always, I'd rather invest my dollars instead of spend it, uh, spend it, <laughs> spend it investing instead of spending it on stuff that just wastes away. <laughs> Conservative Midwesterner. I get it. That's the accounting, um, the accounting uh, mind in me as well. I suppose that has something to do with it. Conservative Midwestern CPA. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't hold it against okay. me. <laughs> I, I, I hold it in the absolute highest esteem imaginable. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. And then, and then um, ultimately, you know, you ended up, you had office and, and uh, you know, you got into bigger units and maybe, uh, you know, kind of talk about that progression and, you know, kind of where, you know, kind of bring it maybe up to from there to kind of current. Sure. Yeah. So at some point, I would say maybe the early teens, uh, 2013, give or take, um, my insurance agent at the time, obviously he knew that I was into rental real estate and uh, he he happened to mention or happened to see uh, a listing that he mentioned to me at uh, another university here in Indiana, up in Muncie, on Ball State. And he said, hey, you should take a look at this. It was a small apartment building, uh, 14 unit. And at the time, that was certainly, it was outside my comfort zone. It was um, it, to the extent that it was larger physically than anything I had purchased up to that point. And it was also certainly more expensive. Uh, but I took the the handyman guy who I'd been working with at, at for five or eight years at that point, And I took him with me and we drove up there and we both walked away from the the tour and said, we, we got to do this. We got to make it happen. So uh, I was... Uh, I think at that point I was to to the point where I had enough cash saved up and, and used that as the down payment. And then, like a lot of things, or like happens quite often, uh, the broker on that deal said, "Hey, I've got this other one. Uh, I've got this other happened to be another 14 unit apartment building downtown Indianapolis. Would you be interested in looking at that also?" And this was probably just a couple months, give or take, after I closed the other one. And I said, "Well." Sure, why not? Can't hurt to look, right? And then uh, I I toured that one with the broker who had to kind of become a friend at that point and uh, walked out of that saying the same thing. I got to have this. This is so cool. It was uh, kind of a early 20th century build. So it was an old structure, but uh, brick brick and hardwoods everywhere. And it's kind of a, a, a well-kept, but an older feel to it. And um, that one I had no business doing. That was definitely... Uh, an even higher price point, but uh, I, I tried to get strategic. And at that point, uh, I was fortunate again that my my dad had just retired and he was looking to uh, just kind of invest cautiously and he was looking for an annuity of some sort. So I, I said, hey, dad, I, I found this great new apartment building uh, downtown Indianapolis. Would you be interested in kind of going in with it, with, in on it with me? And he didn't want any part of ownership, but he said, "I've got some some dollars I can, I can uh, essentially loan to me, loan to you, to me." And uh, he ended up signing on the loan for that, and also putting up the down payment essentially. So the building was 100% financed. Um, the down payment was my dad's money, but all he wanted from me was uh, interest only on it. He just wanted the monthly cash flow, so uh, the ownership was still on me. Um, and, I, and I owned that building for only about two years until I got a uh, unsolicited offer from a, a, an agent who actually lived across the street from that apartment at one point. And uh, the first five, six times he asked me for information about it, I said, it's not for sale, but all right, here you go. <laughs> 
here's the financials, here's the rent roll, whatever he was asking for. And uh, uh, eventually, uh, it just kind of made sense. Like, all right, I'll let you buy it. <laughs> he, he had a buyer from your neck of the woods, from California, uh, that was uh, looking to to buy something here in Indiana. And uh, I, th- I think in the end, he got a good deal and I felt like I got a good deal. So uh, I rolled that in. Uh, I sold that. Uh, and I rolled it into the office building that you mentioned, the uh, 1031 exchange. So I had that for a while, it cash flowed and then provided some uh, gain on the sale and rolled it all into the office building that I still have. Uh, and that was about six years ago when that, when that took place. Very cool. What, what did you pay for the respective 14-unit buildings, the one, one near uh, Ball State and then the one in um, Indy? Uh, it will sound like probably pocket change to any of your, your listeners on, in California or the coast, but uh, I think the Muncie one was around 500 and the downtown Indianapolis one was just over a million. Got it. Which for Indiana, that's, that's expensive. Or at least my experience at that time, you know, uh, 14 units, that's, that's not all that much, right? But uh, for me, it was it required a, a mindset shift. I had to kind of get over myself and get out of my own way and uh, and figure out how to make how to make something happen. So uh, I was very fortunate again with being able to bring my dad into the mix on the the second one uh, in order to have um, just a, a way to to make that even possible. And, and the bank was willing to work with him. So uh, we did it all legally, and the bank knew what was going on and. Everybody won. <laughs> it sounds like the ones at Ball State was like 35 a door or something like that, right? What were the rents? Honestly, the rents never got as high as I wanted them to get in there, uh, in that building. Not enough to keep it forever, which is my original plan, I guess. Um, at the highest, six or 700 bucks, I think, per person for a two bedroom. Um, but it was much different than a. Uh, when I was used to around Butler, to be honest, uh, just a different market, and I I didn't know it quite as well as I probably should have. But uh, in the, in the end, that that worked out to be uh, a good but not great deal for me. But I I feel like I learned a lot, and I ended up selling that uh, a few years ago, uh, and rolled it into um, well, not via a ten thirty one exchange, but to use the proceeds to uh, get started. With actually, what I've been focusing on more recently is um, uh, the syndication world on both the limited partner side and uh, general partnership side of larger commercial uh, properties, larger apartment buildings, multifamily. How was how was uh, Ball State the market different than Butler? And you said you learned a lot, and I wonder what's the color behind all that. That sounds actually very interesting. Um, so, is mainly the the difference was. Well, at, at Butler, my experience had been a it's it's a private school. Uh, the the rents were five six hundred dollars a person, perhaps. Uh, and the more people you could cram into a house, the better <laughs> for the students. They'd take a four bedroom and ask if they can have six people in it, but everyone would pay their respective share. They <laughs> didn't necessarily ask for a discount on a, a per person basis. Uh, whereas up at Ball State. It was kind of the opposite. Everyone wanted this more so. They wanted a single uh, at the max. They wanted a, a two bedroom, and rents were more starting with a three on a per person basis instead of a five or six. And um, you know, I guess what I learned is do a little bit more due diligence. I, I knew on the potential revenue side, uh, I, I knew I loved the building and it was a fantastic location. 
Uh, but I got in there and I hired a property manager. And uh, I guess together we, we had hoped that uh, we could drive rents a little bit further than we ended up being able to. But um, what I learned, yeah, is maybe just do a little bit more due diligence and research into, into the area and into the, you know, the possibilities. Is Ball State a public school? Yes. Okay. And when you said us, th- which is one difference as well, in terms of the nature of the of the clientele. Sure. Yeah, I get it. Um, are you a three versus a six? What did that mean? Like three hundred versus six hundred? I wasn't tracked. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, rent starts with a, in the three hundred instead of the five or six hundreds. Okay. So if I'm re- reading between the lines, it just wasn't the the demographic wasn't as good as is Butler. That's what I'm hearing. Is that correct? Good people. Good. They always took good care of it. Uh, besides, um, that was the first insurance claim I had. Someone accidentally set their Christmas tree on fire one, <laughs> one Christmas season. And so that caused some issues. And uh, uh, I think we had minor lawsuit as a result and the insurance claim. But uh, besides that, I mean, yeah, I certainly don't want to give the wrong impression about the people. It's just the, the rents from an investment I- standpoint weren't weren't quite as high. I, I get it. I get it. Well, and also, you know, I don't know, kids that go to private school probably come from, you know, they come from families with that, where they have more money, I would imagine. Um, that's, that's probably, in, that's in, reality. Yep. You rolled the, uh, the Indy one into the office building. Where, where is that office building? It's um, just the next town south of Indianapolis, which is, I live on the south side of Indianapolis and uh, it's just about 10 minutes south of where I live, a little town called Greenwood. But it's on a great intersection there. And uh, it's like a garden style office where you can drive up right to your door of, of your suite. There's six tenants there. And uh, it's like a professional professional office building. So it's, it's been really good. Held it for, it's been a little over six years now. And uh, it's been great. Is it uh, not had an impact from work for home? Or these are the kind of people that they go in, it's one or two people in an office, they're insurance people or mortgage people or whatever the heck it is. and it never skipped a beat or what's it like? Yeah, to be honest, I, I was worried about that a little bit. Certainly when, uh, you know, 2020 came around and the world's kind of changing. But, um, you know, if I had a, a skyscraper downtown, probably in any business district around the country, I'd be sweating a little bit. But this one, it's, it's, it's a great location in a small town that, you know, there's a law firm there that has been there for, I think, decades or at least many, many years. There's a insurance company. There's a, one of the, the local health networks here. Hospitals has a, a physical therapy office there. So uh, it's tenants that have been there quite a while, and it's been good. So I I I feel like just the the, the type of office structure that it is, it's uh, it, it lends itself well to kind of the small town feel, and uh, I don't sweat too much anymore about it. Okay, so now you're doing, like you said, now you're doing bigger multifamily and you're doing syndications. And so what was the timing for kind of uh, dog-legging into that? And what is the nature of, you know, where you're buying, size of buildings, the the syndication process, etc.? Sure. So it was, um, I think it was 2016 when a friend of mine from the real estate world uh, he introduced me to the idea of being a, a limited partner or an investor in somebody else's larger commercial project. And at that point, I had been, you know, an active real estate investor for 
almost 15 years at that point, but I literally had no idea how anyone could go out and buy, uh, you know, a hundred unit, a 200 unit apartment building. I, I figured it had to be, uh, either, you know, an independent billionaire or a corporation or something. Cause I knew that I could never do that by myself. And I really had no idea, uh, how, how that even kind of could go down, could happen. Uh, so he was the first person that introduced me to the idea. I said, Hey, I've, I've got uh, a contact here at a local company in Indianapolis. And he said, they're looking for, for partners to, to invest in their deal. And I said, what are you talking about? And once, once I learned about that, uh, I, my, that was kind of a mind blown kind of idea. Cause I thought, you know, you mean I can give my money to them, let them do all the work. And honestly, the, the returns are that, not that much different than I'm getting from anything I'm doing actively and spending all my time and stress and dealing with tenants. <laughs> So I said, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And, uh, I've, I participated in quite a few of those since then. Uh, but seeing that on the, or seeing that kind of how it happened and learning a little bit, just at, at least on the, the backside of, of what they're doing and how they're doing it. I, uh, then the next several years, I thought, well, I'd kind of like to be on the, the active side of that as well. And the general partnership side of the team doing the work. But I, again, I had no idea. Really, how to do that? I, but I, at least I knew that it existed at that point. Um, so a couple of years ago, I actually joined a, a big like networking group um, that, and, and and that was the the big catalyst for me. All of a sudden, I had a, a much bigger network of, of people that had been had been doing this and um, could learn from them and kind of ride their coattails a little bit for a while to to continue learning. And uh, it's been just again just the last couple of years now that I've been focusing on the general partnership side of getting the teams together myself, being a part of teams and uh, going out and working with investors and int- trying to introduce them to the world of being an, a limited partner. Because uh, honestly, I think it's, for me, it's been fantastic. For my family, it's been fantastic. The idea of investing in real estate. And um, I think a lot of people just don't even know that it exists because it's not, you know, you can't, turn on the TV and watch CNN or Fox News or whatever channel you watch. And they're not going to tell you about <laughs> real estate syndications. They're going to tell you about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and you know the market. So I, I think it's a fantastic way for most people to, to think about diversifying. So now you've got the perspective of having been, or maybe you still are a limited partner and also being a general partner. So the first question is, what is your experience been you know, overall as a limited partner, you know, yeah, that's part one of the question. Sure. So my experience has been quite good. Um, the, to start with, most of what I had been introduced to the, the local company here, they were ground up developers. So I went in knowing that I probably wasn't going to see much of any return for five years. And some of those have, have started to, to turn now. Uh, I think a couple of them sold. Uh, some of them are just producing cash flow now they got stabilized and built and, and filled up and they're just providing quarterly cash flows now by and large it's been it's been very good it's always nice to to get those checks in the mail right and uh, and when they sell then it's a typically a much larger chunk coming back and that always feels nice um, one everyone always asks a lot of times you know what could go wrong or has anything ever gone wrong? And I, I guess I will. I, I kind of like to tell the story because I think it paints a good picture. One, one of those deals in particular, the uh, limited partner investments I made was, you know, it just didn't, 
it just didn't go all that well. Certainly not as planned. And uh, when they gave the money back, uh, when it sold, they're I kind of got the feeling they're almost like embarrassed. You know, oh, sorry, this is not good at all. But you know, here's what we got for you. And I remember telling my financial advisor at the time, I said, "Well, that wasn't really a home run, was it?" <laughs> and he said, "No, that was kind of like diving into first base to beat out a bunt single." <laughs> but also, the catch it, it in my mind is that I didn't lose any money. I still made from start to finish over twenty percent. You know, not 20% a year, but just in total, I, I, they gave me back more than 20% of, of what I gave them, which I think paints uh, a little bit, a little bit of a, a good picture of this world. You know, that it's a lot of people who don't know that this exists or aren't familiar with syndications. Like, oh, that sounds risky. I'm just going to put my money in the stock market because that's not risky at all. Right. <laughs> Under 401k do last year. Mine didn't do well at all. Um, but I, I think that helps kind of tell a picture, you know, this, Real estate, it exists and there's a lot of things you can do to increase its value. And, uh, you know, you can knock on it. You can, you can touch it. You can see people in the parking lot who live there. Uh, and, and even when things don't go well, uh, it doesn't mean you're going to lose everything. It, hopefully it could mean that you just maybe make a little bit less than you were hoping that everyone hoped. Um, but a lot of stuff has to go wrong in order to, to lose money in this, which, uh, in my mind, uh, is a great, Diversification tool. The uh, networking group that you got involved in, uh, which one? I know there are a number of them um, that are fairly prominent. Which one did you get involved in? Sure, I I, uh, explored several of them, but the one that resonated a lot with me was uh, the Rod Khalif Warrior Program, Lifetime Cash Flow to Real Estate. I think is his. uh, I I listened to his podcasts for a while and uh, ended up joining his group. Yeah, I actually interviewed him uh, a year ago last summer, and uh, he is a, an engaging, dynamic, charismatic guy, and uh, a very nice guy. I really, I really, I I liked him quite a bit. Like him, uh, so that's fantastic. So it sounds like you've been able to fully agree. Yeah, I, I love his mindset. To be honest, like uh, some, uh, I feel like some in the real estate space are. Oh, you're gonna get rich quick, and you're gonna be able to quit your job once you join my club. And he's like, "No, this is this is a long game." And he focused on mindset and uh, you know taking care of people because it's a small small community, right? You got to do well by people because you don't want word to get out, and word will get out if if you <laughs> if you don't do things the right way. So yeah, that's that's always been my mantra, and and that was one of the things that drew me to him as well. I think that's his mantra as well. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He lost everything. And, and uh, I think uh, two, yeah, 2008, 2009, got it over his skis, like could, could have happened to anybody in Florida. And then he's, he's, the guy's got huge, uh, he's got, a, I don't want to use the, the word in my mind, but he's got a lot of courage, let's call it, call it that. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, he's got a lot of energy and turns stuff around. And so I haven't heard Rod's name in a while. So, so then bring us up to date, Scott. Here we are. We're in de- December, Christmas uh, burning trees and of tenants uh, season. <laughs> and uh, of 2023, it's been a couple of years. So what does your, you know, what does the portfolio look like? Are you the G in, in GP deals? Are you co-GPs with other guys that you've met in this group? Or you know, what does the portfolio look like? And what is, so what do things look like today? Yeah. So I've had the opportunity now to be in, Honestly, I didn't take either six or seven deals on the, the general partnership side. 
working with primarily two different teams. And um, uh, a lot of my role has been financial side, either on the underwriting side up front or on the monthly financial review on the backside with just my numbers background. My brain kind of thinks in numbers. And I found that I enjoy the investor relationship side as well, like the going out and uh, sharing my story and uh, just the opportunities with potential investors as well, sharing what it's meant to me. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I haven't, for some reason, I haven't focused on Indiana in the last couple of years. It's a great place to invest, a great place to live. But uh, I've had the opportunity to be a part of deals that are literally coast to coast from Florida to Georgia and South Carolina. And not, I didn't mean to say Florida, I meant to say California. Oh, wow. Um, and then Ohio, a couple in Ohio, uh, Western New York, which is very small town, much different than New York City. Uh, it's actually been one of the best ones. <laughs> Which town? And uh, uh, Jamestown, New York, okay, on the lakes of or it. on the shores of Lake Chautauqua. Yeah, beautiful town. Yeah, we actually have one scheduled to close later this month as well that we're trying to wrap up. In are these how many GPs are typically in these deals that you've been in? It, it varies, to be honest. Sometimes five or six. Sometimes closer to ten. And a lot of that depends on sometimes the the size. Actually, it could be more than 10 as well. That's not super ideal. It just happens sometimes. I say that's not super ideal just because SEC rules means yeah, everyone has to have a role and everyone has to have a, you know, a, a part of it. You can't just be there to earn a, a small paycheck. <laughs> it, is there, if you're in six or seven deals, do you have an identical team where it's the same number and same people in more than one deal? Or is it, does it vary from deal to deal, structure to structure? So that's a great question. Yeah, it's never been an identical team. It's been substantially similar um, for, for four or five of those, I would say. But um, yeah, I, that took me a while to get used to or to kind of understand uh, people would say you got to have a team, and I, I honestly I didn't really know what that meant, or how you know what's that look like in real life. Um, but multifamily, especially the larger multifamily, is is just so much different than kind of the world that I had been in, which is single family and you know the smaller multifamily that you can do that by yourself. But the the larger stuff, you really need more people because it's it's a lot more to manage and it's a lot more to you know it takes a lot more money which means uh, investors but i always thought is it cheating on this person if i'm going to deal with them over here but they don't happen to be part of this deal over here what i found is that 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 just isn't the mindset it's everyone seems to be an abundance mindset a growth mindset and of the the thought that hey i can cheer for you and i want good things to happen to you and i want good things to happen to me where i think that's not always the case kind of out there in the real world a lot of times i think it's too many times i think it's you know if, if you win that means i have to lose so i want to cheer against you i don't want you to win uh, whereas uh, in this world uh, my experience so far is that it's been quite the opposite of hey let's just all win together <laughs> who ends up signing on the loans in these properties so there's what's called a, a key key principal key partner KP. Uh, they'll end up being the ones that sign on the loans. I have not been a KP yet. Uh, that was my goal for the last one. It just didn't work out. The one that we closed uh, a couple months ago. But that's something that um, I'm really going to focus on here going forward is to to kind of take that role uh, to to sign on the loan. Uh, most of the loans in in these. Deals, at least a lot of them are, are non-recourse, means there's not personal liability unless you kind of mess something up. But um, someone has to take responsibility for uh, from the bank's 
standpoint and kind of uh, being being the guy to step forward. So does, that's them. Does the KP have to have uh, a net worth the size of the loan or a non um, personal residence? What does one need to have to be a, to to KP on a deal? Sure. So there's uh, typical uh, parameters would be either the the KP or the the group of KPs, depending on how how it's set up. But um, together, whoever's in the the KP role needs to have a, a net worth equal to or greater than the the loan amount, and then cash reserves after closing uh, equal to ten percent or more of the loan amount. Got it. How has it been? Well, I guess it's two part. Uh, how how recent have your most recent deals been? Like, so you've, you've been doing deals uh, this year in 2023 and how has it been getting debt, getting financing? Not as easy or at least not as cheap as it used to be. Certainly, that's more expensive. Uh, the last couple, uh, I'm sorry, two of the last three uh, were actually loan assumptions. So we're able to assume a, a loan that was like 3.6, 3.7% interest rate uh, versus the you know seven or eight, depending on on where you go, that that you get from a, a local bank. One of those, the last three, was also an agency loan through uh, Freddie Mac. That's we got I think six point two five percent on that. So not terrible, but uh, you know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, certainly you could do quite a bit better. It's got to go in knowing what your debt is, and if the numbers work, they can still work. You know, even today's rate environment, as long as you're not assuming that you can refinance for 3% two years from now, because I'm not sure that'll be possible. <laughs> yeah, not looking likely. How are you dealing with management on your properties? Are you getting third party or? Always third party management. Ideally, there's always somebody from our team who is local to the asset itself. You can be kind of boots on the ground to, to visit it uh, from time to time and check up on it. But uh, always get a, we always get a, a third party or at least a professional management company to to do the day-to-day managing of signing leases, of coordinating repairs and maintenance, that kind of thing, doing the the first initial bookkeeping, you know, preparing financial reports, that kind of thing. The the deal in Jamestown, that is awfully intriguing. I was at Lake Chautauqua, I mean, a million years ago. Absolutely gorgeous. It's a place a lot of Clevelanders have places. And how many units is that property and when was it built? And and what did you pay for it? If I remember correctly, it's 123 units. It's um, don't quote me on the build. I'm guessing mid mid 1900s, um, maybe 1950s, 1960s. I, I could be wrong on that. I apologize, but uh, it's it's been fantastic. It's I, I've got to visit it uh, maybe a month ago, give or take, and I, I feel like I was probably there at the best week of the whole year from a fall color standpoint. It's just a gorgeous uh, gorgeous area. And uh, you know, you never quite. You always think you know when you have a good deal, uh, but things don't always go exactly as you planned. In this case, they've gone almost better than planned from the beginning. It's it's almost like we're we're afraid to <laughs> afraid to wake up because we'll find out that it's not really going as well as it seems like it's going. But so far, it's been great. We've got a great property manager that's on site, lives there, and uh, just runs a, a great show. Takes good care of the tenants and fixes what needs to be fixed and is able to, to stay almost 100% occupied. 
is the person that's managing it the onsite person? Did you inherit it, that person, or um, from the a previous owner? Did you hire the person? I think he was hired, uh, but he's he's local too. He grew up in Jamestown, uh, so he knows kind of the mindset of of the people, and he knows he knows just how to to run a good run a tight ship. And he's uh, he's got history in both property management, but also uh, being the guy that does the work. So we're fortunate that. Uh, we don't have to hire a whole lot of things out from a you know a third party standpoint. He can do a lot. When did, keep it when, keep that in house. When did that? I'm being so rudely jumping and stepping on your answer, which I apologize. When did you acquire that property, and, and what is the what are the the returns been uh, to the investors? Uh, I think that closed this April, April of 2023, and we originally had planned, uh, as is fairly typical, just to kind of give. Things time to to shake out and make sure things are going all right from a cash flow standpoint. We had originally not planned to make any distributions for at least the first two quarters, you know, just to kind of get our feet underneath us. But uh, right from Q1, uh, middle of the summer, we started making distributions uh, just because it was kind of we could we could tell that it was performing really well and cash position was strong. So we wanted to kind of reward the investors uh, at that point for coming alongside and. Honestly, we could pay more than we have so far, but we're still trying to just make sure that the other shoe doesn't fall and we're not missing something. But uh, uh, so we paid, we paid two quarters now already. Sounds like it's a good asset. It sounds like that's the best deal. And if, it, if it's not, you can correct me if I'm wrong. What would you say is the worst deal? And what would be the out of the six or seven, the one that's doing the least well? And what are the challenges of that? Yeah, there's there's always challenges for every you know, there for every story of. Something great happening. There's going to be a story of something not so great happening. Uh, another asset was actually the first deal that I had been that I had been a part of. Um, we've just we've struggled to be honest. To uh, number one, I think we're on our fourth property manager. Uh, we just haven't really been able to get our feet underneath us with uh, somebody on the ground that seems to be taking care of it as well as as we want it to be taken care of and as it needs to be taken care of. So um, we've been. I mean, we have weekly. Asset management calls. In fact, I have one here, and uh, I guess tomorrow at this time. Um, but um, we have c- these calls, and we're always talking about you know who's moving in, who's moving out, what kind of maintenance requirements do we have, and we've just had a little bit more issues from a maintenance standpoint, and we've had a little bit uh, more of a struggle from a, a leasing standpoint trying to figure out. It's taken us a long time to figure out: is is it you know is it something we're doing? Is it the market? But uh, we really still believe that the market is. Is going to support us, and it's going to go well. And uh, we have actually just this month, uh, and our our new property manager is starting, and they've had great success in nearby properties. They're getting higher rents than where we are, so we're excited. We hope that they can get it kind of turned around from a a rent standpoint, a rental income standpoint. But uh, yeah, just, you just never know. You you can do a ton of due diligence, and you can you know think that you're. Checking everything, and sometimes not great things happen to great people. So, <laughs> just got to work through it. That's that's <laughs> what the asset management team is is for. Yeah, you're I, you know you're right. It's like a box of candies, man. You don't you don't know what you're going to get. Where where is that <laughs> asset? Uh, that's in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. Got it. W- with the uh, with the turnover in property management companies, do you find that you end up losing tenants? When that happens, when a new one comes in, honestly, I I don't think we've really experienced that 
so far. Um, we try to communicate well with the tenants to make sure they know why we're why we're changing and why you know obviously why we believe that it's good not just for us but uh, but for them. That's creating a good environment for the tenants and good living space for the tenants is uh, a lot of what we do. Uh, we do, of course. So uh, thankful, anyways. Not yet. We haven't had uh, haven't that haven't had that. Fall out. Well, look, man. Let, let, let's hope that, that this next one uh, can can figure it out, and you know, uh, all the problems will be in the rearview mirror, the bulk of them. What would you say, Scott? You know, because you have a pretty interesting background. I mean, you started with houses. You've done your own multifamily. You have office, and now you're getting into kind of the the syndication space. What would you say is the the biggest lesson that you learned along the way? Uh, I think the biggest thing. For me, honestly, is just moving forward, doing something. You know, a lot of people that I've met over the years from uh, even single family homes, like, oh, that sounds cool. I'd, I'd like to do that or I wish I could do that. And I always kind of say the same thing, which is, well, it is cool and you could do that. Why don't you do that? You know, there's, uh, I know everyone's got their, their challenges and, uh, you know, uh, things to work through, but uh, there's fairly low barrier to entry for a lot of this. And really what it comes down to is just kind of taking that next step. I like to say, you know, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. So if, if you don't do anything differently, then you shouldn't really expect any different results, right? You got to go out and kind of be the catalyst that, uh, that makes the change you want to see. So um, I guess for me, what's, what I found has worked well for me is just uh, I'm always my mind's always thinking about it and uh, always trying to figure out, you know, whatever that next step is, whether it's a big step or a small step, what can I do today to help move that needle forward or keep, keep moving forward? So who can I meet? Who can I talk to? Okay. What can I do? Uh, Ross Perot, who might be a little bit before your time, but I think he ran for president in the early 90s. Actually, yeah. I don't think I know he did. And he said, most people quit when they're within the 10 yard line. They give up right before they hit they hit gold, uh, which I think is really really profound. And so, uh, yeah, man, keep moving forward. Well, listen, Scott, this has been a a fantastic conversation, and uh, you know, kudos to you for kind of uh, reinventing and, and taking your uh, career to the next level. If somebody wants to kind of find out more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure, I appreciate that. Uh, my company is called Onward Equity. And our website is just onward uh, hyphen equity. So onward-equity.com. From there, you can uh, certainly the, there's a way to contact me to send me an email. Or uh, also, what I've done, uh, I realized that again, most people don't even know that this type of or that being a limited partner, you know, an investor in someone else's uh, real estate project is a possibility. So I, I wrote. An ebook, and I called it the top ten reasons to invest uh, in a real estate syndication or to be a limited partner. So, if you visit the website, that'll pop up too. And and of course, it's free, but it's uh, you just put your email address in there, and then it'll send you that book as well. But uh, I'd love to love to chat with anybody and carry on the conversation. I love talking about real estate. Okay, well, uh, if you want to talk about real estate, Scott is a man to do it with. Scott, I appreciate it very, very much and look forward to uh, being in touch. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. You got it. Talk to you soon. Right, bye-bye. <laughs>